0: All right, this is one of those texts that uh, if you've never read the Bible before and your friend who's never attended a church, they know this very well, right? Judge not. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. You know, it, it's interesting that people are quick to declare immunity for themselves completely miss the purpose of the passage. We're going to spend some time on that this morning because all of us have heard this. Well, so judge not. And usually it's used as an excuse for sin many times, which is the complete opposite of this passage. People will say, judge not, don't judge me without giving much thought to the text itself. But in our world where we make immediate judgments, 24-hour news cycles, social media, they, co- they will criticize and convict you on face value alone. Usually without much regard to the person the whole story, or even the truth. And so I think this needs to be addressed. Because many times when you hear judge not, the irony of it is it's directed towards Christians. You're a Christian, you can't judge me. Or it's often quoted to excuse and uh, explain away sinful behavior. Don't judge me. And we're all guilty of that. We don't want to be judged by the same standards by which we look at other people. And we're going to see that this morning, but very much so in our culture where Christians are to be seen and not heard. I mean, Christians are to have our convictions, but to keep them to to ourselves. The the world doesn't want us to have righteous judgment, doesn't want us to distinguish between good and evil, between upright and unhealthy. And we're going to look this morning at the difference between uh, judging in the biblical sense and righteous judgment. So let's first, let's talk about what it is and what it is not before we get into our text. So there's a difference between judging and Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 7, 1 and making righteous judgment. So the word uh, judging we get a little technical on you, but I hope you get this because this is this was very helpful for me. It's krino in Greek. It means I judge or I make a decision. And so when you're saying I'm making a decision, I'm making a a verdict, we know that we're not all knowing, we're not sovereign, we don't have all the information. So when we make these verdicts, a lot of times it's on partial truth. So it's assuming that we are a judge and that we can place ourselves in that position and our culture and instant culture does that very well because you are judged by your last greatest mistake right you're judged by every stumble that you make every every fault that that, that you have fingers are pointed you're a- a- accused and we all know that we are, are are prone to that we love to judge books by their 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 cover rarely opening up to read inside um so there's a passage that looks at this. I want you to turn to Romans 14 with me. We're going to read a, a large chunk of scripture, uh, but I want you to see how Paul deals with this pastorally. Uh, I just want to give you an application here. And let me kind of set the, uh, the uh, tone for you. I'll give you a moment to get to Romans 14 and I'm going to set the tone and we're, we're, we're going to read it. And I just want to address a couple things. So Romans 14, if you get in Matthew and you go. Couple books to the right, you'll find it. Um, so in, in the church in Rome, uh, and in a, a lot of churches in those days, because they were in such a idolatrous and sacrilegious culture, a lot of meats were sacrificed to idols. You had people coming out of Judaism who weren't eating certain meats. Um, you had people coming out of hedonistic cultures who were drinking blood and doing crazy things. And so what was happening in the early church, was some people were saying out of conviction, I don't want to eat something sacrificed to idols. And some people were saying out of conviction, well, idol is nothing. An idol is made with human hands. That doesn't mean anything to me. And so uh, arguments and and, uh, disagreements were arising within the church over something that was a personal conviction, a personal preference, if you will. Now, those things are good things if you're doing them unto the Lord. But what Paul's saying here, and I want you to get this, this is not a primary issue. You don't have some people in the church saying Jesus is God and some people saying he's not. This is a secondary issue. This is something that is a conviction, um, but it's not something that would affect someone's salvation or it doesn't change the gospel whether I eat meat or not. So look at how Paul talks about judging those He's only talking about in in the body right now. And that's who Jesus is talking about in our passage. He's talking about within the church. And we'll we'll see in a moment uh, what we do about those outside of the church. So I'm going to read Romans 14 and read 1 through 13. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. Remember that statement. Do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. While the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him understand. Very key verse here. One person esteems one day is better than another. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. All right, so let me, let me stop here. Paul's kind of jumping around a little bit. What is he talking about? Paul's essentially saying that we are servants of the Lord first. It's like we, we're, we're, when we judge others, we're walking into God's house and saying, you should be cleaning up like this. You should be serving God like this. But Paul's also saying, don't just have these, these um, uh, arbitrary beliefs. Make sure that your convictions are true and hold to your convictions, uh, not just be blown about by different winds. Uh, and he's saying whether if someone lives their life in this way, or they live their life in, in, in this way. It's not something that you should divide over as long as they're bringing glory to the Lord. So he goes on. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives Thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Side note, I think the temptation in all of us to make everyone into our own image is to think that people should live and walk and eat and breathe the way we do. Let me let you off the hook a little bit. You're not God. You're never going to change the way people walk and act and breathe and eat. For we live, we live unto the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are his possession. He is our judge, like Rod read about earlier. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgments on your brother? Again, we're talking about inside the church because under Christ, we are under one head. We are one people. We can make righteous judgments and we'll look at that later, but we don't pass verdicts against these secondary issues. Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This last verse is so helpful in interpretation. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Righteous judgment is out of love. Arrogance says, I'm better than you. I can decide what you can do in your life. And that puts a stumbling block in front of someone else. Because you see their sins is greater than yours. But out of love, we don't hinder our brother from coming before God. We walk alongside them. We examine ourselves like we'll see in a moment. Look at the log in our eye before we look at the speck in our brothers so that we can approach God together blamelessly. So on the non-essentials, whether we eat or not, um, whether we dress up or not, whether we wear flip-flops or not, we allow grace in those areas. But on making sound judgments, making righteous judgments, that is something that we can do And are commanded to do. That word krino. I judge. Making a righteous judgment is anakrino. Ana is a prefix that means up. So it's judging up. It's making righteous judgments. It's, It's judging above just what your eye sees. The word for condemnation is kata krino. Kata is a prefix for down. When you condemn someone, you judge them down. You pronounce judgment on them that is below what you view. So you've got judgment that is I'm deciding from what I see. There's anakrino, I'm making righteous judgment with righteous information as a spiritual person should, and we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 2 in a moment. And there's katakrino, which is I'm judging you down, I'm putting you below me, and I'm Placing myself as judge over you. Something God can do, but not something we can. So we can make righteous judgments because sin is a cancer to the person and to the body of Christ. And we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn there with me. One book to the right, just a couple more pages over. Just two verses I want to look at here. 1 Corinthians 2. 14 and 15 The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, we're not talking about the world here. We're we're, we're talking about a spiritual understanding that only is given to those who are in Christ who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Um, this is one of those situations where it really helps to know the Greek, because this is not krino here. This is kreno. So I love what the, NS, the NSB uh, says, they say, uh, appraises. I think that's, that's really helpful looking at this verse. The spiritual person appraises all things, but is himself to be appraised by no one. The spiritual person discerns all things, but is himself to be discerned by no one. See the difference? That makes sense. Because in the spirit of God, we can see clearly because we are being led by the spirit. We are being taught with higher things. The ways of God are higher. These are higher judgments. These are not sinful, arrogant judgments that are only based on appearances, and Jesus gives us, and you don't have to turn here, it's a short verse, uh, but you can write it down. John 7.24 is probably the best verse, and it's so short, to help us discern what this entire passage means. In John 7.24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. And he says this in the context of teaching on the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are condemning him because he did a good thing on the day of the Lord. They completely missed the point. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and they wanted to condemn him for it. Jesus is telling why are you looking at appearances? All these man-made rules you have for the, the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is the Lord's day. I'm doing the Lord's work on the Lord's day. Don't judge by appearances. By what you think should be done, judge with righteousness. Because Jesus told them, should we do good or evil on the Sabbath? So when we look at our text this morning, we're to see everything through this lens of John 7.24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Because let's be honest, we can just put all our cards on the table. Each one of us has our own idea of what's acceptable, right? And the particular sins we struggle with are the ones that are easy for us to overlook. But the sins that others struggle with, those are the ones that jump out at us. Those are the ones that are most obvious. It's easy to say, well, This comes easy to me, so it should come easy to you. It's easy to say, well, I struggle with this, but I'm forgiven. But yet we don't extend the same forgiveness to those who struggle in sins that are different than ours. There is a big danger here that Jesus wants us to get of self-justification, of explaining away our sins while pointing out the sins of others. Hopefully that helps give you some context of where we are this morning. So Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 and read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll walk through them together. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn against you. Turn to attack them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is hard for us to hear. We are prideful, arrogant people. We want to think of ourselves as righteous. We want to think of ourselves as the judges of morality and the measuring stick by which all other people should be measured. But Lord, forgive us. Because before you, we are sinners. We have nothing to bring before your throne like we sung earlier accept our faith in Jesus Christ. We trust in his righteousness and his goodness, and we trust him to judge the nations, not us. Lord, I just pray that this message this morning would be driven by your spirit, that conviction would reach deep within each one of us, and we should see those created in your image as those who need to hear about the truth of the gospel in and outside of the church, especially in the church. Those are people who are purchased by your blood, who are our brothers and sisters for eternity. How much more are we to love them than our simple preferences? Lord, this is not easy for any of us. Lord, I just pray that this morning it would be helpful, it would be challenging, it would be encouraging. And that as we grow in our love for you, we grow in our love for one another. And that the gospel and the things that matter for eternity are forefront in our lives. And we learn to act charitably and equitably in the things that are secondary in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 1. On the surface level, those who are critical make judgments on other people. People are going to be critical towards you. Just get that out of the way. On face value, it, it is what it, what it what it says it is. If you are criticizing and judging others in this world, you're going to be judged by your own standards. But it goes a little deeper than that. Because when we get out of line, there is discipline. And discipline is a good thing. Like every good parent disciplines their child when they do something wrong. Our Father does as well. Because if we are judging those around us, there are consequences for our judgments. There's consequences for our negativity. There are consequences for our our complaining and our criticism. We'll be unhappy. We may end up alone. We may feel distant from people. Our relationship with the Lord will suffer if our lives are filled with negative judgments, with complaints, with accusations. But let's make this very, very, very clear. This is not the judgment that leads to death. If you are in Christ, there is no judgment that can supersede his blood, but there are consequences to our actions. These are not judgments that lead to eternal condemnation. These are judgments that lead to hurt and pain and disappointment and discipline in this life. So there are consequences for our actions, There is a difference between a felony and a capital offense. You commit a felony, there are consequences. You have to pay restoration for that. But it's not a capital offense where you give your life for it. Well, let's be clear on this too, that any sin outside the atoning blood of Christ is a capital offense. Thank God our judgments are not capital offenses because our price has been paid if you are in Christ. Start and get that out of the way. Don't feel like I'm going to lose my salvation if I judge my brother. It's not going to happen. Will you lose your joy? Absolutely. Will you lose a brother? Probably. Is it worth it? Definitely not. So let's look at that as the basis for the rest of these. first two. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. Where the measure you use it be measured against you. Let me ask you a question. Do we want to be judged by God's standards or ours? Because if we're judged by God's standards according to sin, each one of us has so many capital offenses laid on our shoulders, we could never, ever pay for them. God's standard is perfection. But God's action is mercy. God's standard, God's judgment is righteous and perfect. God is merciful. And his standard was to forgive sinners. Our standard? Do we forgive others as freely as Christ forgave us? Do we measure out the amount of forgiveness that we have received in Christ Jesus? Were we judged according to what we deserved or according to grace? Do we judge others according to what they deserve or according to grace? This is a hard standard to apply to ourselves. And if we take a hard look, we've all fallen short on that, probably this morning when we woke up. And imagine if we were judged by the standard that we judge other people. I love what Francis Schaeffer said about this. He he talked about this 40 years ago before GoPros, but this would be perfect for a GoPro. He When he would interact with people who didn't know the Lord, they would talk about how good they were and their own standards and all that. And so he'd ask them a question. He said, if there was a camera dangling around your your, your neck, he should have patented that and maybe made some money off the GoPro in the future, and you walked around and you just lived by the advice you gave other people, how would you stack up? If you only lived by the advice you gave other people, could you measure up? He said, I posed that question to hundreds, if not thousands of people. No one ever said that they could. It's interesting. Such wisdom in that. Not even your own standards of morality, but just the advice you give other people. We can't stand up to that. So the first thing we need to do before we think about judging or anything like thats self-examination. We're going to take communion a little bit later. Uh, we normally look at the words of institution, and then uh, most churches will not look at the, the warnings after the words of institution about taking it in an unworthy manner. And we don't take it a few verses further, which I want to do right now. It's very interesting that when Paul is talking about communion, he gets into judging. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 28 to 32. I'm going to start in 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's where Paul explains our passage here in verse 30. That is why many of you or excuse me, 31. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when you are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. See how Paul makes these distinctions here. He makes a distinction between judging ourselves truly according to the grace that we have been shown. And when we do mess up, there is judgment from the Lord. It's, it's discipline. It's not condemnation. But outside of Christ, there is condemnation. So, so Paul talks about three different kinds of judgment here. The self-examination that we must do before ourselves before we can love our brother and the, the judgment that Christ Uh, uses in our lives as discipline to refine us, to hone us, to grow us in faith, and the judgment that the world receives outside of of Christ. So before we can be disciplined by our Father, we need to recognize our own sin. We need to recognize that we are also guilty of that condemnation that the rest of the world is receiving without Christ. So back in our passage, verse 3, back in Matthew. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? You notice that he's not talking about the sin of your brother. He's coming to us first. See the log that is in your own eye first. The first step to self-examination is recognition. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I need Forgiveness. I need a savior. Before we can make righteous judgment, judgment, we need to make righteous self-assessment. Before we can address someone else, we got to take care of our own home first. You know, it, it, Jesus paints quite a picture here. Have you ever pictured this? I mean, spiritually, how ridiculous do we look? We see with natural eyes. But... In the spiritual realm, we are walking around with these beams, these telephone poles shooting out of our eyes, barely seeing, stumbling around, trying to find the speck in someone else's life. I mean, Jesus gives us a glimpse into what he sees. Like, don't you know I know your sins? Don't you know I know your weaknesses? Don't you know what I've done for you? Pull the log out of your eyes. It's amazing The imagery here of how great sin is, because in our own lives, we normally think the other way around. Right. In our own lives, we have the speck and they have the log. But brothers and sisters, we are the ones with the logs. and first take the log out of your own eye. Not so that you can fix the world, but so you can love your brother. You can love your sister. You can see clearly to help them. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago, and Jesus talked about the eye, that the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is tainted then the rest of the body is corrupted, Jesus uses the eye specifically because we judge so much by our eyes. We judge the world around us by our eyes. I mean, that's how we make our decisions is by what we see. Jesus is saying, don't stop at your eyes. Make righteous judgments. Judge by spiritual things. Because there's a spirit of negativity that is so pervasive in our culture. We jump to judgments first. We accuse others first. We go to the negative before the positive. We complain before we encourage. And we're all guilty of that. And complaining and judging based on outward appearances. Because most times... And we've all been there when we pronounce judgment on someone then we get to know them and like, oh, I didn't know that this was going on underneath the surface. I didn't know. That they were struggling with this. I didn't know that we struggle with the same things, but many times we love to judge that book by its cover. When two cars pull up next to each other, it does not matter what color your car is painting. Doesn't matter if there is Bondo and two taillights out. It matters what's under the hood. But many times, we are making our judgments by who pulls up next to us. Look at them. Look at this piece of garbage over here. Look at my nice paint job. You don't know that he's got a Lamborghini engine underneath that old El Camino, you know? (laughs) Um, And in our lives, it's so easy to see what is on the outside. Well, of course, it's this junk truck. It must be junk under the hood as well. But we need to take time to look under the hood in our own lives and in others so we can care for them for what's, what really makes them tick. Because the paint job doesn't move you down the street, the engine does. I mean, we are trained by our culture and by marketing to view things on face value. I mean, we are trained to judge a book by its cover. If anyone reads anymore, anyway. There is wise, wise words in 1 Samuel uh, 16. If you can get there, get there. If not, I'm gonna read it. It's just one verse. Uh, but when the transition was happening between Saul to David, and remember, Israel wanted this big, strong, strapping man who was a conquering king to be their king. God says, no, I've got something different in mind. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height or on his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of us, how often are we making judgments according to the outward appearance? Think about when a husband and wife first come together. What would that marriage look like if you spent all your time worrying about who puts the toothbrush where? About if the toilet paper is flap up or flap down, however that works. We all experience that when, hopefully, when you get married, the man has a house that looks like it's fit for a man. And the woman has a house that's fit for a woman. You come together. Now, all of a sudden, the flowers and the jerseys that are hanging on the wall have to kind of fit together. You know, how do you fit men and women together? If you only focused on those things that you could see, where would your marriage be? But you come together out of something deeper, something more important. Not what we, not window dressing, not those things that are on the exterior. His marriage is a lot like a merger. Kind of like what we experience. We've been using that analogy all along, but it's two different people coming together to become one. Some gives, some gives here, some gives here. But because of who we are as people, because we love one another. I'm going to have to get rid of my collection of posters. I'm going to have to get rid of my video games. I'm going to have to get rid of my romance novels because it's affecting our marriage. Right. Not my romance, not always. Um, (laughs) And so I want to address this kind of just a family discussion here. Um, Some people are kind of new. Most of us either came from Grace Fellowship or relevant. But this is a good example for anyone, anywhere. When you come together, when you come for something greater than yourself, the kingdom of God, the worship of our God, do we focus on the outward things? Because in scripture we are told that we are to worship God. We are to proclaim and shout at the top of our lungs. We're told what we're to do. We're told who we are. We're told whose we are. We're not told how to do it. Scripture say we can do it in a piano, not a guitar. We are told to proclaim the scriptures. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Stories, jokes, we don't get that. We are told to faithfully pray. Pray for five minutes, pray for 10 minutes. We are told to gather as the body. We gather in seats, we gather in pews, or do we come together, as Rod said earlier, as the church. The church is not this building. If the building is to fall down tomorrow, the church is the saints throughout all history, and we are a part of that in Christ. And that is how we gather. But when we come together, and let's, let's be honest, we, we come into marriages with our own preconceived ideas as my house should look like this and my drawers should be organized this way and you should not touch the remote after this time. But when we do those things in a marriage, how does our marriage turn out? When we do those things in the body of Christ, how does the body turn out? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've heard some great encouragements from people, and thank you for that. I've heard a lot of criticisms. I've heard a lot of criticisms that Justin and I take seriously. When we sit down, every time he receives a criticism or I receive a criticism, I mean we're being completely transparent here, we talk about it. We pray about it. And if it is beneficial to the body of Christ, we will strongly consider it. But if it's someone's preference over biblical principles, it stays where it is, to be honest with you. Because Justin and I can differ on how we 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 do things. But when it comes down to it, we agree and submit to one another in the Lord because we are servants. We come together as God's people. And our job, we do not take this lightly. We try desperately not to judge on these, these, these surface things. We want you to do that as well in the church, in, in your lives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago the things that we hold dearly. In this church, we will proclaim Christ and Him crucified every week. We hold that dearly, it will never change. But if we decorate, we don't decorate. We hold that a little loosely. We stand, we sit, we hold that a little loosely. We dress up, we don't dress up, we hold that loosely. Because it is about the gospel. It's about glorifying our Father in heaven, proclaiming the Son and the power of the Spirit. That's why we gather. Not for these secondary things. So we judge not by outward appearances, but by righteous judgment. We're going to talk about this stuff as a body when we come together in a few weeks. Um, But hopefully that is helpful for you. And apply that in your life, because I'll tell you, I am the the, the first to be critical. If you've ever met in a mile, it is the list of what is wrong first. And maybe we'll get to an an encouragement next week. I know that is a struggle in my life, and I know it comes so easily to many of us. But I encourage you. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Build up the body. Encourage your brother. Encourage your sister. Before you start looking at the speck, love them. Love them well. Examine yourself. Because we can't address the sin in others until we've dealt with the sin in our own lives. Verse 4. Or how can you say this to your brother? Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. Discernment leads to self-examination. Self-examination leads to repentance, which leads to restoration. Because the whole point of this passage is about restoration. We're all sinning. We're all falling short of the glory of God. And we want restoration in ourselves, in Christ, and in others. But I must examine myself. I must repent of my sins before I can address yours. Before we can help our brother. Because let's be honest. If I'm waist deep in in quicksand, I've got to pull myself out before I can help you. That is sin. That is judgment. It is quicksand. The more you move, the more you struggle, the more it has a hold on you. I've never been in quicksand, but I've seen some movies. I think I understand it. If you reach out to someone and you're in the quicksand too and you start moving, you sink together. But first, pull yourself out of the quicksand. Repent of your sin and then pull your brother along with you. Because the goal in this is restoration. Verse 5. You hypocrite. We talked about this before. The word hypocrite, it's a Greek term for an actor. Someone who stands on a stage and puts on a mask and is something that he is not in order to play a part. You're acting like my follower, but you're judging according to these unrighteous judgments. You hypocrite. And it is the height of arrogance and pride to look at the sin in others and compare it to ourselves. It's what people do. It's what the world does. Well, I'm not as bad as hell is for people like Charlie Manson and all that and we make these comparisons we try to put ourselves in some kind of sliding scale. Again, if we were judged according to God's standards, we're all Charlie Manson. The purpose of this is not to get involved with who is more or less righteous. It's about being able to love our brother. And we have to examine ourselves first and examine our own sin. Because spiritual growth does not happen without transparency. If we're not transparent before the Lord, if we're not crying before him about our own sins, we will not grow. And if our brother does not know that we love them more than we love our own pride and our own desire to be right. If they don't trust us, they won't grow either. We won't grow together. Because loving discipline and discipleship comes with humility. Self-examination just hard because the goal is for us to be restored, in Christ, day by day to be transformed in His image. We can't do that carrying these sins around that we don't want to repent and we don't want to address. Verse six: Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn them to attack you. What? He just talked about not judging and now is calling people dogs and pigs. What is Jesus doing here? Some of the the, the older translations have made this a section in itself. It's so weird to see a Bible that just, uh, they've sectioned this off because this can't fit with what came before. This This is the culmination of what came before. Because there is a difference between judging according to the world's standards and making righteous judgments. Because we do not judge according to our own eyes, it doesn't mean that there aren't sacred and holy things that must be judged and protected righteously. It's related. This is an introduction kind of to verse 15, which we're going to look at in a couple weeks. weeks. Um, I think Justin's going to going to preach um, verse 15 in the same chapter. Beware of false Prophets. He's telling you, make a judgment because doctrine is essential. Beware of those who are teaching a different doctrine. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not allow the dogs into your church to preach a different Christ, to preach a different gospel and lead the people astray. Let's talk about this. Don't give the dogs what is holy. I know we're Americans and we put sweater vests on our chihuahuas and all that. And we think it's and, and we think it's cute. So not the dogs that they're talking about. This is a new thing, domesticating dogs. In their culture, the dogs are like vultures. They're packs. They come in packs and they will eat anything that is out. They're scavengers. They're eating dead things. So Jesus is saying, don't give what is holy to people who are dead. Don't give what is sacred to scavengers. Protect what is holy. Like we saw in 1 Corinthians That spiritual people are to discern spiritual things. We are to have discernment in things like doctrine. Things like discipleship and things like discipline. But we must do it with clear vision. We must do it without our own sin. We can't protect what is holy if we're still protecting our own sin. We see many verses like this. Titus 3 talks about if you give someone two warnings and they're teaching a different doctrine cast them out because doctrine is holy it is sacred there is a different gospel, a different Jesus it's across the street literally 1 Corinthians 5 talks about those who continue in sin sins of sexual immorality um, sins of, sins of, 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 of idolatry they're not repenting and convicting of those sins cast them out because just like cancer, all it takes is one cell to breed and multiply. We are, to, we are to protect the body. Like the shepherd protects the sheep, you don't let the wolves in. You don't let the holy be eaten by the dogs. And then swines and pearls. I mean, pearls are precious. The swine are dirty. You don't put precious things in the mud. You don't bring the precious things of God before those who would rather wallow around in their own mud like the prodigal son before he went home. We see so many times throughout the book of Acts and in Luke, the disciples, Jesus told them to shake the dust off of your sandals. If you go somewhere and they blaspheme the Lord, if they do not accept the gospel, shake the dust off your sandals and go on to the next town. Because the things that are holy are to be protected and guarded and we will fight to the death. For those essential things, Christ and him crucified. Those we will not give to the dogs, we will not give to the pigs. And we can make righteous judgment only when we have examined our own sin. So what's the point of all this? Let me help you. We are not the judge and jury. You can say it together like like an AA meeting. We are not the judge and jury. I am not the judge and jury. There is one judge who will judge the living and the dead. But we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling while helping our brother grow. One thing I didn't mention. Jesus says you, pointing to us, 14 times in six verses. You know what the problem is in this situation? You. Me. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. This uh, uh, reporter asked him, uh, can you write an essay? G.K. Chesterton, if you have any opportunity to read what he's written, please do. But they want him to write this brilliant article on what's wrong with the world. He said, I can answer that. What's wrong with the world? I am, sir. That was his response to this reporter. Jesus says, what's wrong with this? You are. You are arrogant, you are prideful and you can't love others because you love yourself too much. There's no mention of what the other person's responsibility is here. This is not our job. We are not their judge. Because the gospel is bigger than us and our pride. And it shouldn't be diluted by our own arrogance and it shouldn't be polluted among the dogs. The gospel should not be diluted by our arrogance or polluted by the dog's the pigs. It is holy. It is to be kept blameless and spotless. It is to be guarded with every bit of our strength. The righteous things. But we can't do that if our strength isn't invested in our sins. And looking to the sins of others. Because The truth is. If we look on appearances. We're wretched, sinful people who do not deserve grace. On appearances. They're ugly. We are the harlots that were the judgment was passed on in the Old Testament. We are the gomer that Hosea was, was sent after. Our so righteousness is not in ourselves, but is it in Christ. But in Christ, we are perfect. We are blameless, we are spotless before the Father. The only good in us comes from Him. And that is our reminder to see others lovingly. I am dirty and filthy rags, Isaiah says. That's the best I have to offer. But I have Christ. i want to offer you Christ. Without Christ, no one does good in the eyes of God. But in Christ, we have the message of reconciliation. We can reconcile others to the Father by proclaiming the gospel. What's the cost? Pulling the log out of our eye. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth, the word. Thank you for the hard truths that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of our own brokenness and our own frailty. Lord, that we would be a people who loves you well and loves others better than we love ourselves so that we can all grow into the image of Christ, that your gospel would not just be spoken but lived out among our body, that we may walk side by side as co-laborers. Just pray that your spirit would use this message, that it would use this body for great things, for the sake of the kingdom. And that we would not be afraid to die to ourselves so that we could live to Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.